Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God again. And this morning we talked about uh, the idea of a message to the Christian churches by Jordan Peterson, who, although he's familiar with Christianity, and he, of course, read the Bible and stuff like that, uh, he would not fit into what a lot of people would call Christian. Rightly so, but of course, from my point of view, most of the people who say they're Christians don't really fit into the category of what Christ would call Christians, and Christ even warned that many would say that they're coming in his name and he actually doesn't know them, and they don't know him, and they are actually even workers of iniquity, and we know that if you're a worker of iniquity, you're not born again, no matter how much you think you're born again. The instructions right there in the text about being born again say that if you're still doing these dark things, uh, you're not born again. Because you would have stopped if you really were born again. And people say, well, yeah, but I confess with my lips. Well, now they're taking Paul out of the context of Paul and certainly out of the context of Christ who didn't, who's, who specifically said not those who say with their lips, not those who just say, but those who actually do. That's what he counts as actual followers of Christ. And the word Christian itself suggests that you're a follower of Christ. But today, people are redefining what that looks like, but if Christ doesn't agree, then they're not really following Christ. And he told us what to look for to find if somebody was following him or not, and most of the people are not. So anyway... Uh, this morning we talked about, uh, you know, what he thought was rather presumptuous on his part to even ask the church. He was giving this warning to the church. He talked about postmodernism, and we talked a little bit about that. And he talked about these uh, three accusations. Uh, uh, damaging ideology, which essentially consists of three accusations that is destroying young men and young women and society itself. And, of course, the number one is this idea that uh, the existing systems that have come about over the centuries, which today is much different than that in 1776, certainly much different than that in 1836, and certainly different than 1910, and certainly different than um, 2000. And uh, it's constantly changing, and it's not necessarily changing for the better. And the repercussions of those changes would fall under the category of the wrath of God uh, because it's built into the system of God that if you go a certain way, certain things will happen. If you go another way, other things will happen. And uh, people are choosing to go a way that is counterproductive. So he said there were these three accusations, and, and one is that... Uh, uh, what the world has been an oppressive patriarchy and all the problems of the world are caused by it and things like capitalism and stuff like that. But in reality, most all the problems of the world are caused by uh, purely selfish and self-serving ideologies that people have. Now, they cloak these ideologies in uh, grace-swelling words, so to speak, as the Bible talks about uh, talking about social justice, etc., but that's not actually what they're looking for. They're really looking for power. And one of the ways you know they're looking for power is that's the first thing they accuse everybody else of doing. The, the success of America was not created because everybody was looking for power. They were looking for competency. They were looking to achieve uh a uh, state of well-being and a status of well-being for themselves and their family, but also for their neighbors, because for over a hundred years, all charity in America, all things like schools, even prisons, hospitals, were all built by charity, not for the profit margin that we see today in these institutions. And they produced a different kind of institution. But anyway, that's that's one of the mythical accusations, is that, uh, every everything that come about 
you know, your business, your political agreements, even friendships is our exploitation. Marriage is akin to slavery. Uh, nothing could be farther from the truth. Although, in successful marriages, you will find women who serve their husbands and husbands who serve their wives. Now, they don't all do that well. And so you will find cases of uh, marriages falling apart. But if you look at the history of marriage in the world, way more marriages fall apart in the last 25, 30 years per capita than fell apart 50 years ago, 60 years ago. So what has changed over the last half century to create this rise in failed marriages and domestic violence, etc.? Because there's definitely a trend going on. And, and what is causing that trend? Well, that's what we're going to take a little bit of a look at. Now, the second accusation, I'm do, going through these real quick because we went through them in the morning recording, which you can get if you join the network. People will send them to you. If you look for us on Keys to the Kingdom on your local podcast, you'll get these. But if you want to get them prompt and, and uh, with uh, places where you can get answers to questions, join the network. And uh, we will be giving you those answers as you ask the questions. But anyway, the the second myth is that there was some sort of ecological uh, utopia before man came. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Thousands of animals were becoming extinct. The dinosaurs are extinct, supposedly extinct. At least that's what we're told today. A lot of these things aren't even true, but... For the general public, we will we will accept the fact that dinosaurs are extinct and lots of other animals have gone extinct and they didn't go extinct because men were driving SUVs or because people had coal fire plants. They went extinct for other reasons. And global warming, in my opinion, what global warming is taking place is a direct result of what's going on on the sun and has little to do with carbon dioxide. And there's all kinds of scientific evidence to prove that. But we have seen a plethora of censorship over the last uh, decade, uh, last three or four years, where if you have an opinion counter to that than, than the post-modernists, you will be shouted down, you will be censored, you will be canceled. But anyway, I could give you hundreds of examples of ecological disasters, even when nature doesn't have the catastrophic events that are common throughout the history of uh, geomorphology. Uh, I'm I, Since I was a small boy and I was walking along cliff faces and putting my hands on the rocks, uh, and I'm talking small boy, I, I could see catastrophic events that created these layers and layers and then squinched the layers up into these curly uh, sign-like patterns and and squished mountains uh, to rise up out of the ground. Uh, I could see the geological events. I could see the patterns. As a small boy, I could probably see them clearer than I can see them now. Then later on, many, many years later, I started listening to scientists talking about catastrophic uh, geology, the fact that the earth goes through huge, dramatic, uh, cataclysmic events every so often for some reason or other, and there's reasons, but we won't go into all that. Uh, But Jesus said, look for signs in the sun and the moon and the stars when we were to expect these things again, and so there there is a hint in there. We've... in, in. Go way back, some of our shows, we talk about this, but really we're at the point now where we need to start actually seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness in order to have the tools to prepare for what is coming. And I don't want to be a doomsday, no matter how you look at it, death, you're, by the end of this show you will be an hour closer to death for you than you were at the beginning of the show. Uh, whenever you're going to die, I don't know. So we're all going to have cataclysms in our life. Uh, some of those are going to be geological. Some of them are going to be uh, meteorological. Some of them are going to be sociological. But there will be cataclysms, diseases, 
wars and rumors of wars, etc. So, to prepare for that, we need to follow a certain path. And, of course, this third accusation has to do with this damnable male ambition. Uh, and he, he even points at one time, think again, sunshine, if you think that th- this is not the condemnation. Well, all of this comes out of what he calls post-modernism, and, of course, that comes out of modernism, and then they both come out of the age of reason. And the age of reason wasn't always that reasonable. There were a lot of people talking about things, rationalizing things, coming up with conclusions as to how things work, and trying to find out the truth, as Pontius Pilate says. And each of us should be on that same quest. None of us will actually have it. We will all have opinions. Some of our opinions will be closer to reality than others. So anyway, basically what he was saying, and this was kind of the ultimate message in the two-hour show we did this morning, is that he was calling the Christian churches to open their doors to young men and bring them in so that those young men can learn the values of Christ and the values of the teachings of Christ and Moses because he thinks those are important. The problem is, is the modern church is not teaching those things. As a matter of fact, the modern churches are teaching doctrines contrary to the doctrines of Jesus Christ, certainly contrary to the doctrines of Moses, and it's the same contrary doctrines that Jesus said was making the word of God to none effect. And we explain that the Corbin of the Pharisees is equivalent to social welfare by the state, through taxation, through the operation of force, fear, and violence, where the people have become accustomed to living at the expense of their neighbor, neighbor and depending for their livelihood on the property of their neighbor. So anyway, we just did the whole two-hour show in the, this short period of time, which is less than 15 minutes. So let's see if we can get a little bit more chunked into the next 15 minutes to 45 minutes of this show, which I hope I set the time. We're going to get cut off before the end of this show. I am. I apologize for that. I just flashed on a... Had a Kodak moment of seeing I did not set the time for the show, so they're going to theoretically cut me off. I don't know. You might still hear me, but we will record. I will do the whole show, and uh, we only got 1 minute and 37 seconds left, (laughs) 35 seconds left, and I think they were... Yep, yep, they're going to cut me off, but I will continue to record the show I will try to edit it, and within the next day or so, I can upload it to the rest of the network. So you have to go to preparingyou.com, join the network, and you uh, in your geographical location, and we will uh, send you this recording as soon as it is ready. Ready, and we're we're going to go through and. Uh, we're, this is all a part of our step-by-step showing you how the churches went into apostasy and are now failing the people and what the people can do about it to counter that reality. So, anyway, I'm sorry. I, I don't know why I missed that in the settings when I was setting up the program. I have no way of going back, but I'm about to get cut off. Now, anyway, I apologize. We'll take it to where we were going to go with... Uh, I was going to do the whole show this morning on tribalism and I'm still putting stuff together on our page on tribalism but uh, one of the things because of Jordan Peterson doing this video and releasing it calling on the churches and because I know that most of the churches will actually do more harm than good because that is the that is the definition of a lie is part of the truth and the churches that are only preaching part of the gospel saying keep your eyes on Jesus, but you don't have to do what Jesus literally commanded, literally insisted upon, that literally said you're not to be that way, and they are that way. Those churches are not doing anybody any good. So, uh, in the age of reason, which... Uh, came along and people talk about, you know, where we had all these philosophers and, and uh, people looking at how things were. And of course, there was a certain amount of age of reason with uh, science, 
there was Age of Reason with Art, where people were painting pictures that, I mean, sometimes you can look at the picture, put your face right up to the picture, and you can't tell it's not a photograph. Amazing talents. Uh, but then you have other artists coming along that were Impressionists and the Van Goghs. And uh, they they had a different approach. And then eventually you had... Picasso was a great painter originally. But then when he started doing his Cubist stuff and uh, Salvador Dali and all these kinds of things uh, where they're painting an alternate reality, this is bringing in the postmodernists. Uh, who says, oh, your lines don't have to be straight. They don't, your pictures don't have to look like what you're painting. You know, so you could, you could paint like Neil, Leonardo da Vinci, who paints the Mona Lisa, which is actually really a little tiny picture. And, uh, people think it's, and it is pretty good. I'm, I, I must admit. But, uh, he's putting, he's trying to paint the soul of the person. You could say that Picasso is trying to do that with his cubism, but it just opens it up wild to almost, because you're not coloring inside the lines of reality, you're creating a new reality or creating a new image and saying that's reality. They did the same with Christ. Is they draw a picture of Christ by picking and choosing what verses they want to look at in the Bible and then people believe in that image of Christ, uh, and they are actually idolaters as a result. But there's some steps in between where they become these idolaters. Because you think idolatry, or at least that's what you're trained to think, that idolatry is to create something, an image of something, you know, like a statue or something like that, and then worship that statue. Well, of course, you can create an image of Jesus Christ in your mind that isn't real, that isn't the real Jesus Christ, and you can worship that image, thinking that Jesus is this way, and Jesus said this for this reason, and you may be wrong. Your opinion is incorrect. Now, some opinions can be incorrect, and you're still basically seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness, because you're seeking righteousness. But other opinions can be so far off that they actually have you seeking unrighteousness thinking and saying that it is righteousness which they talk about the rewards of unrighteousness and the wages of unrighteousness using the same Greek word in both cases but you know translating it different in English but the wages of unrighteousness are those gifts gratuities and benefits Plutarch talked about they are uh, the people who live at the expense of others and depend for their livelihood on the property of others, though that livelihood and those benefits are the wages of unrighteousness. Well, there is a secondary wages of unrighteousness, which again, what I said earlier in the show, is equivalent to the wrath of God. And if you listen, go back and listen to other shows, I talk about the wrath of God. The wrath of God is simply the consequences that come with God's creation. God does not want you to feel his wrath. Uh, he's, he doesn't want to go around and you know blow his top like a spoiled child and beat you up with fire and brimstone. It's the fire and brimstone is going to come one way or the other, and there may be a creative influence of man in that. But the reality is, if if you were following the ways of Christ, you would know where to be when the fire and brimstone comes. You would know where to be when the famine comes. You would know where the food is when that time comes, and God would guide you, and you would not have to go to. Uh, Egypt and say to the Pharaoh, I will be your slave if you feed me today. You wouldn't have to do that because you were already seeking righteousness. But the, the sons of Israel were not seeking righteousness. They were self-righteous. They threw their brother into slavery. So they were thrown into the slavery. And since FDR certainly and even before with the implementation of public education by tax dollars and fire departments by tax dollars and police departments by tax dollars, uh, that you are already implementing a system whereby you turned your fellow citizen into a slave for your purposes. 
anybody who believes in socialism, who wants socialism or communism, is a slaver. They they want to turn their neighbor into a slave where their neighbor works without full pay. He, you know, this is what is just absolutely amazing. These people say, oh, the, the, in communism, the means of production belongs to the people. Well, it belongs to the people, but they don't get to keep their means of production. They will, they will be taxed heavily. Progressive income tax is one of the ten planks of the Communist Manifesto. We have a whole show on that. You can go to Preparing You. And you can see our pages on the Communist Manifesto. All of the ten planks of the Communist Manifesto are law in America today. And people don't even know it. Like Goth says, none are more hopelessly enslaved than those who believe they are free. Because they are in denial of the fact that they have gone back into the bondage of Egypt. If you're really in an age of reason, you would know that. But, of course, when the age of reason started, there were plenty of people like, uh, we have an article on Alexis Tocqueville, you can look it up. We have an article on legal charity, which Alexis Tocqueville talks about. We have an art article on Lady Godiva, who was in opposition to legal charity. She wasn't in opposition to charity. She was all for charity and fervent charity at that. But legal charity is when you force the contributions of the people. She knew that that would destroy society. Uh, Polybius knew that would destroy society. Plutarch knew that would destroy society. Tacitus knew it to some degree. He knew the making of more laws shows the more lawless the society. But the reality is that the postmodernists and even the modernists, they don't know that. Because when they color outside the lines, when they, they do cubist pictures and say, that's reality. Oh, that is so full of meaning. And, you know, like in, in the movie Dream Team, when they're looking at the uh, statue, uh, that is this strange, bizarre shaped statue and, and he's saying that this is this is this wonderful expression of modernism, etc. Why why is that? And uh, he says because Jesus wants it to be. <laughs> in other words, he he's just saying this is this is what it means because he's telling you that Jesus wants it to be. But the reality is because you not you're not really. Dealing with reality. See, facts don't matter to the modernists and especially to the, uh, th- this su- supra-modernist, uh, that we see coming along. The facts don't matter. The, the post-modernist, uh, the facts are irrelevant because nothing, nothing is real. They want to break down society and we talked about, but anyway, these philosophers that were very post-modernist, uh, they were deconstructionists. They had to tear down everything and uh, so that they could rebuild it in their own image. And, of course, the problem is is that your great reset people are making a deal with the devil, thinking that if we tear all this down, that the devil will help us rebuild it. But the reality is the devil wants dominion of this planet. So right now, the war you've seen going on for the last couple of years, actually for the last couple of decades, for the hearts and minds of the people and your children, and they've got many of your children already, uh, is actually a war between you and hell. Between you and Beelzebub. Between you and Satan. And of course I understand that those are not really Satan's names. Satan is simply the adversary. But there are entities involved in this uh, war. Klaus Schwab's an entity. Uh, Noah Harari is an entity. And a lot of other people are entities. And uh, they are actually manipulating to take the world away from you. Now, fortunately, and I'm not going to give you the mechanisms. I touch on the mechanism. Christ has already won that dominion. But, Christ is not occupying. He left us to occupy. And so what they have to do is to destroy those 
who are the real servants of Christ. So, as I've said many times in the past, I haven't said it recently for a long time, people ask, they read the book, Covenants of the Gods, and they, they read Thy Kingdom Come, or The Higher Liberty, and they ask, does this work? And my answer has always been, that, yeah, if you, what this will do is this will get you and everybody you love down on the shores of the Red Sea with all the armies of Pharaoh and all the demons of hell coming down on you with everything they got. This is what this will accomplish. Now, they're coming down anyway. The freight train is on the way. I used that analogy this morning. They're coming anyway, whether you like it or not. But what you want to do is be in that position with the Red Sea at your back and the pillar of fire between you and the powers that are coming. And that's not a geographical location. This is a metaphor. Some way it will manifest itself. Those of you who are still around will probably be astonished at how it does manifest itself. But the critical thing is that you have to become the tribe or tribes of Christ. I just was on a Facebook group that somebody asked the question, what is, it was a home church group, so they're big advocates of getting out of the institutional, creating the home church, and they said, what is the optimum number of people in a home church? What is the ideal And I saw 60, I saw 12.4, I saw all kinds of different numbers. And then ratios, you have to have at least so many elders per so many uh, uh, congregants and all this stuff. They don't even know what an elder is. Elder is just simply the head of a family. It's not an office of the church. And they're, they're throwing out all these numbers and just went down one after another looking at it. And I thought, like, I see all these different opinions. Not one person has said what Christ said. Not one of them had quoted what Christ said is the optimum number for what they're calling a home church, a congregation, which was ten. He he actually commanded his disciples to make the people sit down in those groups of ten. And then those groups of ten would gather together in other groups so that they would all be connected But the base fundamental congregational group was ten. Not ten people. Ten men and their families. And those men would be, those are the elders. Because if a family was the grandfather, grandmother, their married sons, and their unmarried daughters. That's one family. That that is because the family was the social welfare system of the basic building blocks of community. If if your brother fell on hard times, you'd help him out. The the movie Big Fat Greek Wedding. You see this all the time. Somebody needs help with their business. Somebody else, some other Greek relative, cousin, whatever, will help them out so their business is success, a success. And the the family is working together. I saw this amongst the people who came from Vietnam. They came here with nothing, just the clothes on their backs. Some of them barely speaking English. Uh, no, no great fun. Ten years later, they were all successful. Why? Family. They helped each other out. They were putting their kids through college. Their kids were getting good paying jobs. And they were taking that money and rolling it back into the parents' restaurant. And everybody was helping everybody. Now, two, three generations later, I can't say that that's necessarily the case. But they... And you see the same thing today with Ethiopians. Extremely successful. Because they have this family mentality. And with the Ethiopians, they have a tribal mentality and uh, they even broke down some of the walls of the tribalism when they became Ethiopians in America then they were the Ethiopian tribe in America (laughs) and they began to help one another out they weren't all that way because you could still have immoral people but they're very successful very successful come here with nothing and become very successful because they have this 
help one another out. And Christ knew that the early Christians would need that. So he had commanded that his disciples make the people start organizing themselves in these congregations of ten and connect those in congregations, uh, you know, ten congregations where you have a hundred and in this case then you had 50 because you had 5,000 men in their families. So 30,000, 40,000 people were organized into a community bound together by charity and sharing, fervent charity and sharing, forbidden, forbidden by Christ to exercise authority one over the other, forbidden by Christ to engage in covetous practices where you live at the expense of others, and you take away from your neighbor by forced contributions. You you couldn't do that. And this is what made the Christians so peculiar, a peculiar people. It's because they were organizing themselves in this tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. They were operating according to the perfect law of liberty. They were setting up a daily ministration, a pure religion, where they took care of all the social welfare of the needy through this charity. And we see Paul... Uh, bringing supplies and bringing aid all over the Roman Empire as these thirsts rolled through where there are food shortages, money was collapsing. Remember, it was just at the time of uh, Tiberius and uh, that people started to compromise the Roman denarii. At first it was Cleopatra and uh, Mark Antony took about 10% of the silver out of the coin, but we also we've done shows about the temple at Ephesus was doing something similar, especially with gold coins, through a process of chelation where they could change the amount of silver in the gold coin, so it was still a gold coin but there was more silver in it than there was gold it still looked gold and it still felt like gold but it had a lot of silver in it, and they could create these alloys, and then that would stretch the gold so that they were actually giving you a gold coin that wasn't worth as much, but still stamping it that it was worth as much. And, of course, one of the ways that Rome did that, where they put uh, a premium on their gold coins, was you could only pay your taxes with their gold coins, so you had to... It created a greater demand at tax time for their gold coins and made their gold coins a little bit more valuable. But all these tricks were going on, but within the first hundred years, they already were suffering serious runaway inflation because right there at the beginning of the persecution of Christians, Nero removed about half the silver from the Roman silver denarii. And by Diocletian, there was zero silver in the coins and runaway inflation. And all of what you're seeing now is a product of that same mindset. Now, if you want to see the success and thriving of the early Christian community, then you have to see that mindset. You have to think differently. You have to start thinking like Christ said, repenting, thinking differently, coming together and start taking care of one another. Postmodernism says there are no facts, there are no standards, there are, you know, whatever you want to believe, you can believe. And we explained this morning that you believe that the light at the end of the tunnel is not a train, and it is a train, you're still going to get killed. You're going to get run over because your opinion does not change the nature of the train. It doesn't change the cause and effect of the universe. So you have to change that cause and effect. You have to uh, do that by actually doing what Christ said. That's how you abide in his love, is by doing what he said. Those who keep his commandments, you have to start taking care of one another. You have to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. You have to organize yourself in a system of fervent charity. You have, in order to successfully do that, you're going to have to forgive people. The early church had all kinds of ideas and doctrines that were floating around, but what they had was that we had to practice pure religion and create a daily ministration for the needy of our networking society that operated through faith, hope, and charity, not force, fear, and fealty. 
the modern church says force, fear, and fealty is okay to create your system of social welfare to obtain your daily bread. But Jesus said it was not to be that way with you. So if that is the conflict you're running into in your local church, I'm not saying leave your local church. Go there, present the actual teachings of Christ. You won't have to leave. They will kick you out. Now, maybe, maybe they will repent. And they will actually see, whoa, wow, you're making sense. Well, that will be up to you to present the truth, learn how to present the truth. We're writing this stuff. We're putting it into uh, audios so that you can talk about it. We're going to try to do more videos so that you can start to understand that the way of Christ is much different. We have an essay on the way. It is the antithesis of postmodernism. It is the antithesis of modernism. It is about taking your responsibilities back and doing things according to the way of Christ. And I'll probably put that link on the page as well. So, you you have this uh, age of reason where men, some men, enlightened thinkers, whatever you want to call them, are starting to contemplate a lot of things. Of course, you know, they were now translating the Bible into English. Uh, of course, a lot of people were learning more and learning Greek and learning Hebrew and taking a look at these books and uh, starting to figure out what it was all about. Now, you go way back uh, before the age of reason with Lady Godiva, Lady Godiva had figured it out. She understood it. She understood human nature. And she would not have anything to do with legal charity. She knew it would destroy society. hundred years after her death, we got a monk coming along saying that she stripped off her clothes and rode through the town naked. And everybody forgot to find out what this patron saint of architects was really up to. She wasn't stripping off her clothes. She was selling her wealth to provide a social welfare system for the people. So now if there's a rich woman out there and she doesn't want to take her clothes off, (laughs) she can always follow the example of Lady Godiva and start to provide for the needy of society uh, through faith, hope, and charity. And, uh, I mean, it doesn't have to be a rich lady. Lady Godiva was a rich lady. Her husband matched her generosity. It was her second husband. Her first husband had died, which is why she was extremely wealthy. She had inherited some funds, I think, on her own. She was considered one of the wealthiest women in England at that time. Uh, she, she is the only woman who is mentioned by name that I know of in the Doomsday Book. And the Doomsday Book was, that was a book that was established by uh, William the Conqueror to keep track of all the property that fell under fealty. And that's what was going, because he wasn't really the king of England. He was a king. There were at least three kings of England uh, when he came across the channel, he only fought one of them and he wasn't even the greater of the kings. And for a couple hundred years, there was a dual system of law. There were those who had to kneel down and take an oath of fealty to William the Conqueror and his successors. And there was those who did not have to take an oath of fealty and they operated according to Saxon law. When the king came to their house, he had to knock on the door he did not, their land was free of taxation from the king because they were not entered in the doomsday book. And over the next 300 years, more and more people fell under the authority of the successor kings that was a system brought over by uh, Alex, uh, uh, William the Conqueror and Strongbow and a lot of these other people. I had some of my relatives came over about that same time. Supposedly, I'm related to Strongbow, and uh, but it gets a little foggy to get back that far, especially since we changed our name <laughs> uh, way back when they were cutting our heads off. So we, I wasn't originally Williams, but that's a, I come from a long line of troublemakers, 
uh, from one point of view, but freedom fighters from another point of view. But if you really want to be a freedom fighter and you want to fight the way of Christ, you have to go the way of Christ. You have to change your thinking and start following Christ. And what you have to do is the opposite of what the postmodernists are doing. You have to take responsibility back. You have to make facts matter. You want to know the truth, so you will try to find out the truth. I'll mention it here, and there's going to be more added. Uh, you know, I have a whole section on uh, many modernist ideas uh, claim to have as a goal the liberation of mankind from uh, cultures of the past. Because, you know, uh, they sometimes give lip service to cultures, but sometimes they hate cultures because there's no rules. Uh, and facts don't matter. And uh, inconsistency is a part of their consistency. You, you, you cannot argue with them. You cannot reason with them because they've already decided. They're just full of vanity and full of lies. And uh, the, the kids who fall for this are trapped in this cycle and they can't get out. They've fallen for it and they can't get out. And it ends in socialism and communism and destruction and death because that's the consequences of living in that way. But I put a number of links there so you can go and listen to other uh, videos. By I didn't put the video up itself, but I took like the word postmodernism. And when somebody was talking about it and I thought it was a fairly good video, I I put the link to it. So if you clip on it, you can go watch those videos and find out more about it and what... And postmodernism is a little bit like Calvinism, you know, it's sometimes hard to nail down, but basically it is a deconstructionist philosophy that uh, uh, thinks it knows everything already and uh, it is it, it becomes an ideology and when it becomes a doctrinal ideology, it has to destroy any other ideology that even seems to contradict it. And uh, it, it does not love the individual. It talks about the collective and uh, bringing all the people together in an inclusion type philosophy. But it actually is about dividing everybody. A little bit like what we see with Christianity in their denominationalism. Denominationalism is right in line with uh, identity politics. It's right in line with the ideas and ideologies of uh, postmodernists. So, despite the postmodernists' uh, ambition to believe human nature is a social construct, and through social engineering, man may be recreated in a more desirable form, at least from his point of view, the, the postmodernist point of view, uh, into this, you know, woke generation. But the parameters are changing all the time because the facts don't matter. Because they're really not trying to replace the system. They're just trying to break down all systems. And out of the chaos, they will gain control. And it won't work. But uh, the evil that wants to gain that power and control, they think it will. And they will operate in that way. And you will see the Battle of Megadon, uh, Armageddon, and, uh, and uh, the different uh, factions that are coming in. Because they're really interested in war and battle and power and oppression, and which is why they start out pointing to everybody else saying, oppressor, 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 or you over here, you're the oppressed, we're going to save you, we're going to help you, we're going to do all these things for you. But they're dividing you. They couldn't do it in a class struggle, so they're going to try to do it in oppressor, oppression type of system. But the reality is, is that uh, it's all about power. 
which is why you know that because that's why they're accusing you of power. There used to be a thing, you know, during the hue and cry. We have an article up on hue and cry. That's how you caught the thief. That's how you caught the murderer is that there was this hue and cry and everybody came out to try to find where the injustice was and right it. And uh, that's that's the way uh, people used to do it with this hue and cry. But they take this hue and cry and uh, they don't make a hue and cry. They're silent. They're not going to come out and aid others. They might film somebody with their cell phone, but they're not. Well, all that comes for from a hundred years of socialist-type programs, covetous-type programs that you have set up where you, you know, it's not my job, it's the police's job, it's not my job, the schools should be teaching the kids, it's not my job to pay for your health care, you should have signed up for the government uh, welfare program and then they would pay for your health care. That is all dividing society and their inclusion in the identity politics. Identity politics, like I said, is like uh, denominationalism. It's to separate you, divide you, and then conquer you. They talk about, well, we recognize you that this group and we recognize that you're that group and you're, you're Native American and you're uh, Chinese and uh, you're black and... Uh, you know, all these different things, these labels they want to stamp on you. They're dividing you. That, you know, Martin Luther King was that you'd just be judged by the content of your character. And no, no, you're going to be judged by your race. And that is all about dividing you. And the reason they want to divide you is they want to conquer you. So again, what can you do about it? Well, stop Dividing yourself. Start coming together. Do not forsake the gathering together. But you want to gather together not so you can get your ears tickled and your back scratched and that you can get free benefits or they're going to have a potluck and so we all want to be there for the potluck because uh, so-and-so is really a good cook. And No. No. You want to come together to serve others, to be of service to others. If you don't even show up, if you don't even sit down in those tens, hundreds, and thousands, whether it's on a call or what have you, if you say, "Well, I don't get the feeling. I don't. I don't hear the music. I don't. I don't. I don't do this or that. Uh, it's just. It's just not doing it for me." Well, maybe you're not coming in the name of Christ, because I can guarantee you, getting crucified didn't do it for Jesus. He didn't come to have his ears tickled. He didn't come to feel good. You talk about oppressed. There's nothing more oppressing than crucifixion. But he doesn't want... Now, people say he died so that we don't have to die. Well, all the apostles died. <laughs> uh, at least they all faced death one way or the other. Well, why did they have to die? I thought Jesus did it for us. But the reality is, generally speaking, the Christians thrived as a community even during the times of persecution. And there were probably many of them that had some form of ideology. I mean, an ideology is the opinion of an individual or a collective. That's what an ideology is. But when you take your opinion and you make your opinion doctrine, and anybody who has an opinion other than your opinion needs to be shouted down, needs to be censored, needs to be shunned, needs to be, oh, I don't want to be in a congregation with him. He has a different opinion than me, a different ideology than me. You you will have to form some sort of opinion. Therefore, by the definition of the word, you have some form of ideology in your mind. The reason you gather together is try to perfect that ideology so that it becomes the ideology of Christ. And the only way you can do that, can you do that through study? No. You, the only way you can do that is have it done in you. Because again, I talked this morning about Peter, who was Simon Barjona. And he said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for you are a Peter, a rock, a little rock. Because 
you didn't know this because flesh and blood revealed it. You didn't know this because you ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You didn't know this because you learned Greek and Hebrew and you read and studied the Bible and figured it out. You know this by revelation. Because my Father in heaven, through the quantum realm of spirituality, divinely inspired you to know the answer to the question. And that knowing, that inner knowing, is how he will build his church. Now, I'm a shepherd. And you hear my voice. Do you hear Christ's voice in my voice? Do, Do you hear Christ's doctrine in what I'm telling you? Is what I'm saying agreeing with the doctrine of Christ as you see it at this moment in time in your heart and your mind. Well, then his sheep hear his voice in my voice. I'm not Christ. (laughs) I'm a sinner. (laughs) But occasionally I'm inspired to say some things that Christ said. Now, I just see it in the book. I see the pattern. I see it in the Old Testament. I see it in the New Testament. There were tens there. There were tens in the New Testament. I, I, I see it in the synagogue of Satan. There's also tens. Because synagogue is ten heads of families. Ten elders. Uh, because that's what an elder is. The head of a family. See, like... If you're a woman alone and you're not married and you have no husband, you should join a congregation right away. Because you have no coverture other than Christ. And of course, ultimately, that is the only coverture we have, which is why I told you the story of getting down on the shores of the Red Sea with nothing between us and the armies of the Pharaoh and the armies and the phalanx of the dragon than the power of God. And it's not going to be anything but the power of God that protects us. But in order to get there, we have to do this step by step in a little, you know, micro steps. We have to start trusting in God's power that will operate not only through the people of your congregation, but will also operate through you. But by sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands... You give your neighbor, as well as you obtain for yourself, the opportunity of taking back your responsibility for the needy of society. Now, if you're a multimillionaire, you can give lots. If you're a poor widow, you can give a penny. And, and Christ will count it as a lot. So spiritually, your investment in the kingdom isn't about numerical numbers. It's about your personal investment. God is judge of that. But it will not go unaffected because just like there is the cause and effect of the universe that we call the wrath of God, or the Bible calls the wrath of God, which if you go down this road, if you go down this river, if you take this fork in the river... There's going to be rapids. There's going to be sheer cliff walls. There will be mosquitoes. There will be eels and what have you. If you go this way, you will run into something else. So you make these choices and you're going to run into these things. If you make certain choices, you will experience fire and brimstone, hail and difficulties and... That's, and you may call those things the wrath of God. Because it, it's going to rain on the just and on the unjust. But uh, somebody was telling me that he would have been caught in a terrible hailstone that you could not even put a hailstorm where you couldn't even put your hand around the hailstones. They were so big. But it ended up that his dog wouldn't go. I mean, it's kind of like Balaam's ass. His dog wouldn't go. And so he had to walk back to town because his dog wouldn't walk anymore. He was 
hiking across the country. And because he walked back to town, he met some guys who put him in a motel. And because he was in the motel, he wasn't out on the road in the hail store. Did, was there an angel in his dog? <laughs> you know, it, I, I believe that. Could be. That, you know, to, next week, there might not be an angel in that dog. <laughs> because the angel listed to where he wills. But literally, animals can, can become representative. If you, if you won't listen to the angel in your heart, your mind, you know, God may send, uh, you know, Balaam's ass to tell you what you need to know. You know, or, or get you to stop and don't go anymore. I mean, that's a real thing. It, it, it doesn't save you. I mean, it might have saved you that storm, but then there's the next storm, the next difficulty. And so you, you have to constantly give the credit to God, not the dog. <laughs> not even the angel, because the angel is just doing the, the, the will of God. And uh, so you don't worship those things. You see, you have an access to the tree of life. But you have to admit your error. You have to admit your weakness. You have to admit your sloth. You have to admit your avarice and your lasciviousness and your wantonness. You have to see your failings and your faults and your apostasy. And you have to forgive it. Forgiving yourself is the beginning of forgiveness for others. But, you know, to tell you the truth, forgiveness of others is the beginning of forgiveness for yourself. So gathering together is not only an opportunity to put responsibilities on other people's shoulders and to pick up responsibilities on your own shoulders, but it's also the opportunity for you to forgive others. To be patient with others. And uh, I know so many people that are not patient with children. Older people who aren't patient with children. I know older people who are extremely patient with children. And children are a blessing to them and they're a blessing to the children. But I know others who are not patient with children. They'll be patient with their dog. But they're not patient with children. Uh, or they'll be patient with their dog or their cat, but they're not patient with other people, their neighbors, their brothers, their sisters, their sons, their daughters. Oh, they just, that just makes them so angry. But their dog will crap on the floor and they'll, oh, they'll forgive the dog. It's easier to forgive the dog. It's harder to forgive people. But that's why we need to do it. Because forgiveness is one of our responsibilities. Charity is one of our responsibilities. Gathering together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands is one of our responsibilities. So that we do not give the appearance of evil. Because if Christ said to gather in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and you don't do it, then you give the appearance of evil, the appearance of stubbornness, the appearance of unrighteousness. The appearance of disobedience. Because these gatherings, you're not, it's not like you're signing up for anything. It's not like you're going to have to do something. Your choice to do something is still in your hands. Because the church operates according to the perfect law of liberty. Well, I said I'd go over a little bit and it's actually four o'clock. Uh, I'm still on. I don't know. I was going to go back and look at the radio broadcasting. The, the guys are still signed on on the phone. So the ones who called in, you can call in and hear you. The, the ones I think that were on the station, they're not hearing me. But anyway, I'm, I will call it a day because I've got to go out and work on a tractor. <laughs> and uh, I'll say peace on your house and may God be with you. Uh, God bless, and uh, join us on the network. Get others evangelized. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to 
His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.